Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. We begin with John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. I love the lectionary texts this week because we get a little glimpse of what it looks like to see history as God sees history. Some of you know that uh, I, one of my majors in college was uh, history, and I love history. I love reading through it. I love reading about all the different people and points and you know, things that would put many people to sleep. I thrive on. And when I get a little bit of time, I go and, and I sit down next to the fire or in a quiet corner somewhere and crack open something like uh, Thucydides or um, Plutarch's Lives of the Romans. And that's just great for me. I know I'm weird like that. But um, God sees history as someone looking down on a timeline Whereas you and I go through it discursively, meaning we are on every point in the line. And here in the text, we see how God looks at Abraham. We see bookended Abraham's call 
to go forth from his people, to go forth from everything that he knows, to follow the Lord. And did you catch the verses, how they mirror one another from the book of Genesis and then from the book of Romans? Which verse was almost identical? What was Abraham promised that he would be? The father of nations. Yeah, we see that God promises he'll make him the father of nations in Genesis. And you come all the way thousands of years through Christ to after Christ. Because the book of Hebrews, of course, is written to the Jewish people that are in the church. And so St. Paul picks up on that theme and says, This is how God sees Abraham, as someone saved by faith and by grace. And yeah, he did many great works, but before God, he has no room to boast. And it's fascinating to me that we go from that bookended view of Abraham and how God sees him from outside of time to the John chapter 3 passage, which you're probably very familiar with. You've probably read it several times and certainly heard it referenced. Of course, that John 3.16 verse that's all over the place, right? But here we see the context for what's going on, and it sets up really well Jesus' conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus. So, if you have your Bibles with you, open with me to John chapter 3. And we're just going to look at this together, keeping that in mind that this is how God views history and indeed how God views you and I in history. We don't know much about Nicodemus, aside from what we're told here. Um, we do know that he was a ruler of the Jews, meaning that he was part of the Sanhedrin. You see that actually in the Greek here in this text. It's not as overt in the English. But he was part of the ruling elites of the Hebrew people. And notice, he comes to Jesus searching and wanting to learn. Uh, an Oxford scholar by the name of R.H. Lightfoot, one of the great Anglican commentators on the Bible says this of Nicodemus. He says, he's a man of definite but limited measure of strength and one who had a definite but limited ability to see truth. I find that an interesting phrase. A definite but limited ability to see truth and to have strength. So this is one of the top guys. This is one of the establishment rulers in the Hebrew world. Nicodemus is addressed as rabbi and addresses Jesus as rabbi, and that would be the equivalent of saying doctor or professor. Okay, he's giving Jesus his due. Look with me, with me at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what do you notice about the setting here? Why 
is it that Nicodemus seeks Jesus by night, do you suppose? Yeah, he doesn't want to be seen. Yeah. So he's seeking truth, but he doesn't want to be seen. And we see that he respects Jesus, but he's still kind of testing the waters. There's that, that analysis again of definite but partial strength here. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who came from God. And what's the justification for his thinking that Jesus is a teacher? The miracles. The signs that Jesus does. You see that in verse 2. So Nicodemus wants to see God and wants to see the kingdom of God. He honestly wants to find out who Jesus is. And in this way, Nicodemus is a model for all people who seek the truth, for all people who are looking, truly looking for answers. And truthfully, friends, that's not a large percentage of people. There's lots of people who say they're looking for answers. There's lots of people who think they want to know the truth. But as a matter of fact, they don't. They don't want to be confronted with the fullness of it. They don't want to know all of the nuance of it. They don't have time for that. But Nicodemus gives us a model of what it means to actually seek the truth, to not be epistemically vicious, to actually be looking for the God of truth, not for fancy arguments or rhetoric, not for slick presentation. And in this case, of course, this is the ultimate truth because this is salvation itself that Nicodemus is seeking. The kingdom of God. The right rule of God. And he wants to be part of it. And so Jesus forthrightly answers Nicodemus's question. But he goes and he goes right to the heart of things, doesn't he? Look at Jesus' answer in verse 3. Jesus answers Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's no beating around the bush here with Jesus. Unless you're born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's a strange thing that Jesus tells Nicodemus, isn't it? To be born again or born from above. It's actually a play on words in the Greek. The Greek word is anathene, which means both of those things. So when someone says born again, you can also say born from above, because it's the same Greek word. And so Nicodemus is kind of confused, rightly so, biologically. He goes on to question Jesus and says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus then goes to clear things up. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Let's stop there at the end of verse 6 for a minute. So what Jesus is saying is, no, I'm not talking about being born again, although it's a new start. I'm talking about being born from above. And what does it mean to be born from above? It means to be born of the spirit and of water. Hmm, what are, what's, what's he talking about? 
Now, Nicodemus probably has some knowledge of baptism, right? Because baptism is a Jewish rite that welcomes people into the Jewish um, people, into the people of God, right? Outsiders are brought in through baptism. So he has that going for him. But Jesus knows that Nicodemus is a teacher of the law. So why do you suppose Jesus fleshes out what it means to be born from above with that particular wording of, of the water and of the spirit. Well, Jesus is actually not making this up or even putting it together, but he's actually taking Nicodemus back into the Old Testament and quoting the scriptures to Nicodemus from the Old Testament. And of course, Nicodemus would have known these scriptures. So in that context, listen to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. This is the Lord speaking through his prophet, Ezekiel. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, you, even as a teacher of the Jewish law, even as one of the Jewish elite, are an idol worshiper. You're an idol worshiper, and you need to be sprinkled clean. You need to be washed of that. Ezekiel goes on. Verse 26. This is again the Lord speaking. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is showing Nicodemus that the gospel is in the Old Testament. That the cleansing, the grace given, the Holy Spirit given as a supply to obey God is given way back in Ezekiel. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you have got it all wrong. Though you seek the truth, you still think too highly of yourself. You still think too highly of yourself. Sin is still deeper than you think because the problem is that you have a heart of stone, not a heart of flesh. And only that heart transplant can be done by God. It's not something that you can do. What Jesus is saying here on a spiritual level, is salvation, but he's giving us how that salvation happens. And so when we say born from above, yes, it's born again, but born again isn't enough. How many of you remember when you were a kid and you were out on the playground and maybe you were shooting a basket or uh, playing some kind of game? I, I seem to recall a time when we were uh, playing on a putt-putt course. And, you know, you just really messed up. And you said, I want to redo. I want to redo. Redo. Do you remember that? Did you guys do that? I did a lot. I was terrible at sports. <laughs> you don't have to think as far back as childhood for that. Yeah, well, good. <laughs> yeah, because what Jesus is saying here is that those who seek the, God, the kingdom of God need to want a redo. Right? That being born again. But they also need more than that. 
They don't just need the redo. They need a change of their nature completely. Notice the end of the Ezekiel passage talks about the fact that who is it that will cause them to obey God's commandments? Who is it that will cause them to follow God? Is it themselves? No, it's the Spirit. Again, you don't have it in front of you, so I'll read it to you. Verse 27 from Ezekiel 36. And I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So you see, what Jesus is saying here is that Nicodemus, you and all of humanity can do none of this on your own. Here in the United States, we've, we've gone and, and grown up in this tradition of thinking that we can choose God and put ourselves in the kingdom of God. And that's just nonsense. You have no ability to put yourself in the kingdom of God. Now, it's true that being offered the kingdom, you can accept or decline it, certainly. But what Jesus is here saying is that the Holy Spirit has to draw you into the kingdom to begin with, and it's only by God's initiative, by God's working out of baptism, by God's sacrifice of himself on the cross and Jesus, that you can be part of the kingdom of God. So what does it require of you? Well, the desire to be made anew, repentance, and the desire to be in communion with God, with his Holy Spirit. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Even a great leader like Nicodemus doesn't quite see this unveiled right rule of God. A great leader like Nicodemus has to step back and be like a baby, learning things all over again. And as a Christ follower, I'm sure you've felt that way too on occasion. That yeah, the old ways that you used to do things in the kingdom don't work. Maybe it's the old ways that you did politics or the way that you used to manipulate people. Or maybe it's uh, fill in the blank. It could be just about anything, but the old rules don't apply to the new life. You have to start again in order to be in God's kingdom to see his truth, his beauty, and his goodness. So where's the Holy Spirit working in you this Lent? Nicodemus and Jesus in this conversation, he's told that the Holy Spirit blows where it will, and those who are in the Spirit are like that. Where is the Holy Spirit, which is interesting because in the Greek it's the same word to mean both Holy, to mean both spirit and wind, both in, he, in Hebrew and Greek. Numina, numina in, in the Greek. Ruach in the Hebrew. It both means spirit and word. And where is that spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the wind of God, where is that blowing in your life? Perhaps in this text today, is this helpful to you 
is this something that's an, an old comforting text that just really gives you solace where you are right now and you need to be reminded of it, the fact that you've been washed in God and that you're a new creation? Or maybe you're going through this Lent in your meditations and maybe the Holy Spirit's unearthed some things. Maybe he's more like the rushing wind and he's digging some things up and blowing some things over. He does that too. He doesn't just comfort. He also um, gives us the ability to follow God's commandments more clearly. So what's he digging up in you, perhaps? What do you need to have dug up and washed in your soul, in your heart? What habits of your mind this Lent are you being called to change? What habits of your body might you be being called to change? You see, our part of this is the sanctificatory part. Being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, we walk in His ways, but we have to allow the Holy Spirit to move in us, whether it's to calm us and just be still and know that God is God, or if it's to dig up and unearth and go through some unpleasant things for the sake of being refined and being made into someone who's closer to God's image. Where are you? Friends, don't let this Lent just be a time where we sing less joyous hymns and put away hallelujah. Because if that's all it is, we're missing out. You see, this text is so powerful in Lent because it takes us back to the cross and back to the fact that in Jesus we're washed and can be made new. That's the hope. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be in us. We know that it's, he's in us, actually. We ask that we would be obedient to him, that he would calm us, that he would stir us, that he would refine us. And we ask, Lord, that this second week of Lent, you would show yourself more clearly to us and show us what you would have us change, how you would make us new. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.